goodnewsministriesofgnm.org. It's the Catholic place for growing your faith. Good News Ministries will provide you with faith-building reflections, virtual retreats, prayer resources, and lots more. All of it is free. Visit gnm.org today. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love. This is the Padua Podcast Network. It's alarming, and there's so many factors, and I think, boy, that's a whole other conversation, too. And, yeah, it's definitely something to talk about and think about, but I think the idea that um, we're supposed to have our heart's desire, and if we don't have our heart's desire, we've somehow failed, is a depressing thought that probably a lot of people get wrapped up in. Mm-hmm. Thriving in the Trenches. It's the podcast where you will hear stories from real people with real purpose, all for a God who loves us with a real love. The Trenches, where life isn't always easy, but it is a place for women to be encouraged and equipped to uniquely and universally serve Christ in their feminine vocation. So, together, let's go deeper in our faith in God, in His church, and in our friendships. You Welcome here. Welcome to Thriving in the Trenches podcast. This is Becky Carter, and I am your host. Hey, how are you guys doing? I hope you are well, and this day, this this year is treating you well. Um, I am so super excited about today's interview and uh, it just puts a smile on my face that I I get to share this little conversation with you well it wasn't little because Laura and I don't know how to have little conversations but um, just to give you a little backstory on my friend Laura we got set up to be friends (laughs) which is really funny but the, the man who set us up happened to be a priest that was formerly at her parish, and then he was at our parish, and he says, I really think you two would like each other. Y'all just need to be friends. And so I hosted uh, a Blessed Is She brunch several years back, and Laura Hudgens came to the, the brunch and got to know her through the years, and she's just so much fun, and she really is full of wisdom. And um, through this conversation, what we did was she wrote an article back right after graduation uh, earlier in the summer. And it was it was titled the the top to my graduating senior, the top. Oh, what's the actual title? Let's get to it. The words of wisdom you need to ignore. And I love how Laura writes. She's just very witty, and she has a, a beautiful way of, of pulling the truth into all of her writings, even though all the the outlets that have published her work are not Christian or Catholic. She, she has written for some uh, Christian and Catholic outlets, but specifically this, this particular, um, it's called Grown and Flown. Actually, it... On the article, it says it originally uh, was published in Huffington Post. So, but anyway, it uh, it was just it. She's so witty in how she gets the truth across. But um, when I was reading it, I thought, wow, you know, these words really are for all of us. And and she really points out a lot of the points that have. Are, are the topics or, or the ideologies or the thought processes that have led to this relativistic culture. And um, so I thought, this is 
this is a great interview. Of course, I've wanted to have her on the podcast for a long time, and she's been my one of my best cheerleaders along the way. So let me introduce you a little bit to Laura, and, and then I will just get our conversation started. So Laura Hanby Hudgens is a Catholic middle school teacher. She's taught my daughter, uh, and she is also a freelance writer. She lives on a buffalo farm, truly, I've seen it, in the Arkansas Ozarks, where she enjoys cooking and baking, which is also the key to bringing her busy family together. Her work has appeared on the Washington Post, Huffington Post, Grown and Flown, Church Pop, uh, Alatea, and I think she's even been on the Register, National Catholic Register, I can't remember, and Catholic Exchange. Laura, you need to update your uh, bio here. I'm adding to it. (laughs) Anyway, you can find out more about Laura. I'll give you the link to her website and to the article that we reference in the episode. But anyway, I am absolutely delighted to introduce you to my friend. It would definitely kill the spontaneity. All right. We are rolling, and I hear my kids now all of a sudden making noise in the back. So, you know, all right. Hello, Laura Hudgens, and welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I have already told my listeners how we are such good friends and what a blessing it has been for us to get to know each other over the last several years. But what I would like for you to do now is... Tell our listeners a little bit about you that they might not know from just the regular old bio. Okay. Um, gosh, I have to think what the bio even says, but um, <laughs> Catholic convert. I don't think it says that in the bio, but my husband and I came into the church in 1999. So we just celebrated our 20 year um, anniversary, I guess it would be called, oh. of, of entering the church. We had two children at that time and they were very small and, and when we had was an infant. So they were baptized in the church and then we've since had two more and we've just enjoyed 20 years. It, it, the joy has never worn off of being Catholic. Oh, I love that. What about children? How many children do you have their ages and all that good stuff? Okay. I have four, uh, four on earth. Jack is 23. I'm, I'm used to saying, you know, I have four kids, a 10th grader and 8th grader and kind of running down the list. But now I have to say, I have four children, um, one going into ninth grade, one, two in college, and a banker. Like, one's a grown-up now. <laughs> so, that's kind of funny. So, Jack is 23. Um, he's our eldest. Then we have two girls in college and a son who will be entering high school. And it is just crazy how time goes. Now, your girls, are they both at the University of Dallas? Right. So one will be a soft or sorry, a junior and one will be entering as a freshman. Okay. And we're super excited to have them at the same school. That is awesome. I don't think I knew the final decision on that. I thought I did, but I wasn't super positive. So I need decide. Well, we have talked for um well, how long have I had the podcast? What, almost two years? Or two years. I don't remember now. Anyway, <laughs> we have talked, yeah, two years, we have talked about having you on as a guest and what could we talk about, and I'm just glad that we finally are getting on the horn and doing it. Thank you, summer vacation, right? No kidding, yes. <laughs> yes. So, what happened, what really sparked me to make this whole interview happen was you posted something on Facebook. It was one of your articles. I believe you actually wrote it a couple of years ago. And it was called, To My Graduating Senior, The Words of Wisdom You Need to Ignore. You're a regular writer here over at grownandflown.com. And their little memes are so funny. I love following them on social media. They make me laugh on the regular. Um, And then you always, you really do write some great stuff for them. Now, Grown and Flown is not... Uh, specifically Christian, correct? Right. Okay. So for you to be able to bend your words to fit their medium, but also give such great insight and truth that's really steeped in the capital T truth, I've always thought was really a great art. So good job, Miss Hudgens. 
Well, thank you. I um, yeah, most of the things I write aren't specifically for Catholic outlets. I do, I love writing um, specifically Catholic content, but I do write a lot of education and parenting things that are for secular sites. And I, yeah, I do try to, um, I don't want to say sneak in Catholic truths, but they're just there because it's, it's what I'm writing about, whether it's specifically Catholic or not. Right. Well, and whether we want to admit it or not, or recognize it, or people who are secular and they don't see the world through a religious, faithful film um, lens, it is there because God created it. And, and it's just there. <laughs> you can't make it go away. So, um, okay. So this particular, you want to tell us kind of the context behind this article and why you wrote it? Sure. Do you so remember? I, yeah, it has actually been more than a couple of years. So um, it would have been about five years ago, I guess, that our eldest graduated from high school. And I just noticed, and as a teacher, I had seen it too with uh, um, seniors who I had had in class, that the, that advice that comes to our children is um, just the standard things that you find in greeting cards, but people would say to them, oh, find your passion, do your thing. And it sounds great. And a whole cottage industry has been built on telling our young people to find their passion and do their thing, I think. But I just realized that I wanted more for him than that. So I wanted him to think deeper than just what you would find on the front of a greeting card. Mm-hmm. Well, I loved it. And when I was reading it, um, what really struck me is this is not just advice for the graduating senior. It's really all the things that you touched on were, um, what's the word, philosophies or thought processes that lead us into this culture of relativism and materialism and instead of the ism of God. And so what I wanted us to do in our conversation is really turn this and how can we use these words that you wrote for the graduating senior that really the Lord wrote on our hearts. Like, how can we seek forth the real truth, the true happiness, which is the Lord himself? So if you're ready, um, or if you don't want to, if you don't have any other context you want to share with us, I'd love for us to just start going down the list and see where, where we end up. Yeah, absolutely. But no, I, I think you're right. They aren't just, words for kids because in my own life I had had those same um, you know as you get older and you have to examine where you're going and what you're doing we're hearing those same things those same messages to do our own thing and and all the stuff that we'll talk about as we go through and so right I wasn't just saying Jack needs to ignore this advice but rather um, I've had to ignore it in my own life right okay so why don't we go ahead and start with the first one do what makes you happy. Okay. So you say, right. this sounds yeah. good, right? Well, who doesn't want to be happy? The thing is, my apologies to our founding fathers, pursuing happiness rarely makes you happy, at least not for long. <laughs> right. I love your wit. Um, yeah, the founding fathers, I'm sure, weren't, when they said the pursuit of happiness, I don't think they were talking about a new Xbox or cool boots. I mean, I, I think it was, they probably had in mind a more enduring happiness. But I think as modern Americans, when we hear pursue what makes you happy, we think about material things or um, probably probably also relationships. But mm-hmm. again, how our relationships benefit us rather than a more selfless approach to a relationship. So it's, I just find it a very self-centered way to approach life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think really it goes down to what is authentic happiness. And I wish I would have actually looked that up in the catechism or something, because that, that would be a great time to pull in that definition of what is happiness. And ultimately, our happiness is is rooted in who Christ is and, and our relationship with him and the hope that comes from being um, with him. What is, what is that? Oh, what is the very first catechism? Um, to know him and love him and serve him and to be happy with him in this 
life and in the next. And I'm maybe paraphrasing that a little bit, no, but I remember great. my children memorizing that when they were small and, and I've never forgotten it to be happy with him in this life and in the next. Mm-hmm. So not just to be happy in this life, but to be happy with him, which suggests we can't really be happy apart from him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. God, him, of course. And, um, that maybe that's what the founding fathers leave out to pursue the pursuit of happiness in a life with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but in our, our founding fathers were all steeped in their own faith tradition. So we know that they were religious, but, um, anyway. Okay. So that's, that's happiness. Um, I, what you really turned it to be is your goal is intrinsically selfish. Pursue goodness, pursue peace, pursue holiness. These are the higher goals and the only way to be truly happy. Right. And I mean, I think we, we know that's true as Christians. We know that that's true. And and you said earlier, God writes that on our hearts that, um, I mean, the world is full of stories of people who had all the things that the world tells us will make us happy, fame and fortune and power. And that we know from history that that doesn't make people happy. Right. Ultimately. Right. And those are the things that give us true happiness is right. Is always outside of ourselves. So exactly. All right. And I think, boy, too, I, um, you know, we confuse joy and happiness a lot of the times. And I, I do, I mean, the catechism tells us that God wants us to be happy with him in this life and in the next. But joy is, is different, and it transcends happiness. Be happy in terms of a joy that, it, that transcends our circumstances. That's the kind of happiness that we're called to pursue. Mm-hmm. Or that, that God, and um, joy isn't always the absence of trial, the absence of suffering. Exactly, and we think happiness is being the opposite of suffering. Yes, well, and even and I have I actually have a little catechism here. It's the the Saint Joseph Baltimore Catechism number one. So it's for us who are still young in our faith. <clears throat> me who needs it dumbed down a little bit not dumbed down but just in plainer words it says yeah it says uh, happiness is a state of joy peace and comfort but all those things this is what i always have to remind myself when i'm not joyful is that joy is a fruit of the spirit and it's a gift which means that i cannot drum up joy on my own what i can do is work on the vice and and try to root out the vice in my life and that will lead me to the fruit that god is 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 waiting for me to come come and get yeah that's excellent that fruit doesn't just appear it has to be cultivated exactly and a lot of times that just takes dying to yourself right there's um and speaking of joy, this isn't entirely related to Fruits of the Spirit, but there was a book out several years ago. I cannot even remember the name of it, but a man studying people um, wrote about statistically your chances of being happy. Like, what do you need to do statistically your best bet for being happy? And it was things like um, how long your commute is or how much money you make. And, and statistically, people who make, I want to say it was like $70,000 or something was this sort of um, anything above that's not more likely to make you happy. People think the more money you have, the happier you'll, happier you'll be. But he found that there was this, a certain sort of stopgap that above this income, as long as people were fed and clothed and somewhat secure, it, no more money made them happy. But anyway, one of the things he found in the book was that statistically people who have children are less likely to be happy. And he was on, of all things, the... Um, Stephen Colbert was interviewing him about this and he said the statistic and Stephen Colbert said well of course you know children are a huge pain but they are unspeakable joy Hmm. and joy always trumps happiness oh and I that was yeah (laughs) why is it late night comedy Um, that there is a that joy does always trump happiness it is a deeper and and more and like you said a fruit Mm -hmm. so that may have taken us off topic a little bit but i've always loved that quote that 
children are a huge pain, but they're an unspeakable joy, which trumps happiness. Yeah, which is what suffering is, right? Somewhere. I love that. That's great. Yes, they are a pain. Uh, as I just had to go and <clears throat> handle my pains. This is the second. Like, I don't know why I think that I'm going to report, re- report, record a podcast in the summer with all my children home, which I did it for over a year with them home all the time. So why this summer it's been more difficult? I don't really know, but um, that's right. I love them. I need to love them more. Okay, just all my, <laughs> all my children have jobs this summer, which is my, which is a first for us and really weird. So I'm kind of, yeah, I'm in a different place, and it's very strange. Different conversation. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. I told you we could go. We could talk about whatever we wanted to talk about. Um, but we'll let's talk about just be yourself. You say I'm not asking you to be someone else. I'm not suggesting you be fake. No one thinks you are more terrific than I do. But a lot of people, especially young people, shrug off glaring faults and bad behavior by declaring proudly, that's just who I am. That's a cop out. Don't just be yourself. Be the best version of yourself. Yes, preach it, sister. (laughs) Yeah, I saw this so often in the classroom when I taught high school that kids with a bad attitude or kids who were lazy or, you know, any fault that any adult can also have would say, well, that's just who I am. And that was in a world where we all, we are supposed to embrace our individuality and being who you are is like one of the greatest virtues. Um, I saw kids using that catchphrase to just behave badly. <laughs> so they could be mouthy and say, well, I just tell it like it is. And if people don't like it, that's their problem. It's just who I am. Or I am never on time for things. It's, I can't help it. It's just who I am. You know, that just this idea that we aren't responsible for who we are. We just are who we are. Mm-hmm. That's with my students. And certainly, you know, don't want to see that in my own children or myself. Right. Well, I mean, I even see it on social media. Um, we just, yes, we are who we are. Yes, we have faults. Yes, we have weaknesses. And yes, we make bad choices. We, um, including me. And, um, but what I don't love is when that message becomes unbalanced. We are a faith of both and. Yes, I am full of weakness and error and fault and sin. But I am also a redeemed child of God with the sacraments, full of grace to be excellent, to do good. And I hate that, oh, well, I guess I'm just, I'll never have a clean house or I'll never be patient or I'm just a yeller. That's who I am. Right. Yeah. You're right, too, that it's a balance because I can find myself you know, beating myself up over the state of my house or having lost my patience. And I don't think that's the answer either to constantly be trying to, um, or to constantly be frustrated with ourselves for who we are. But yeah, definitely trying to improve and definitely trying to seek those graces to be the best version, who, who to be who we're called to be and created to be, mm-hmm. which is not mouthy or lazy or slovenly or any of the things that... Right so often shrug off right right because there are there are the you know you've got the scrupulous who all they do is focus on their failures and they don't yeah. see the grace or receive the mercy though they think they are they're i'm right. going to confession every week or i'm you know all these things where okay are you scrupulous or are you just relishing in the in the mercy of god you know or you have yeah. those who are licentious and they just don't think that it really matters. Oh, well, I've got confession. I'll go to confession sometime and Lent when the church makes me go, you know? Um, So there, there is, and then, and then there are people all in between, but we can't stay in our failures. We can't become despondent because of our failures, but we, but we can move forward. And what a hope, right? I hate yelling at my kids. I always feel like a complete jerk when I yell at my kids. 
I would actually prefer to not yell at my children anymore. And I will say that I've gotten much better because of the grace of the sacraments. I can expect, I have hope, and, and hope is not like some frivolous statement. Oh, I hope, I wish. It's not a wish. A hope is to have faith in the realized uh, end event. That's a uh-huh. Becky version of the, the true <laughs> definition of hope. But we have hope for heaven because we know heaven exists and we're walking in the path that the Lord gave us. Um, we have hope. That means that we should believe that we could actually get to heaven. And that's what I have hope that I will actually stop yelling at my children. But I have to work at it with the grace right. of God. Sorry, tangent. Go. It's your interview, not mine. Well, I think I interrupted you, but you're right. And I think that makes a really good point that this mentality of, well, it is just who I am, robs us of that hope. It not only does it excuse bad behavior, um, it robs us of the desire or the hope of ever improving our behavior. And it also almost makes a virtue out of some bad behaviors. Like we celebrate um, the we celebrate being just who I am over actually conquering any kind of bad habits. So it's better for somebody to like embrace their bad attitude than to overcome it. Or it's better for somebody to embrace their, whatever their flaws or faults may be. I think we our culture is encouraging us to embrace those over, to, to give up hope, like you say, of ever overcoming them mm-hmm. and instead to just relish in our own individuality, which ironically isn't all that individual, you know, <laughs> if we're all saying it, right. we're all going around, there's no real individuality and in everybody just doing their own thing. Right. Well, and, so. and it goes back to, you know, if anybody's listened to me at all the last couple of years, understanding what true freedom is. If you are still stuck in a vice, you are not free. We're celebrating bondage. Wow. Mm -hmm. Who does that sound like, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Look at that. Just taking this (laughs) in in a whole different level. Yeah, celebrating bondage. That's terrifying. Yeah, right? Well, I mean, that's what the Israelites did. They're like, no, we just... No, we just want to be able to drink milk instead of eat meat. That's wrong. That's conflating. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyway, it's just that that is what we're doing. We're celebrating, celebrating the bondage of our vice and um, instead of celebrating the hope that we have to become free. All right. Yeah. Follow your heart. <laughs> you make me laugh so much. This is horrible advice. The truth is, following your heart or your gut or your feelings is not actually the best best way to make decisions. Follow your heart is just a slightly more poetic way of saying, do what feels good. Follow your head, or better yet, your conscience. Ah, see, I, I caught that. Feelings change, but you can't go wrong with good sense and good morals. Right, I mean... I can't quote you chapter and verse, but the Bible does tell us that the heart is deceitful above all things or wicked above all things, which is it? Um, The heart, I think, is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I mean, the Bible strictly warns us against following. Isn't that? Mm -hmm. Am I? I don't know. I don't know that scripture. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, I don't misquote scripture out there, but um, I'll, I'll double check that. But I, yeah, what a terrible way to make decisions to just do what, because what my heart told me to do at 16 is definitely not what my heart would tell me to do now. Right. Or even sometimes what my heart told me to do three days ago. Yes. Because my heart gets a lot of times confused with my emotions or my own selfish desires. I, I think sometimes when we say, follow your heart, what we're really saying is follow, yeah, what you want to do, what feels good. Mm-hmm. Rarely is our heart, as we think of it, telling us to... I mean, in my heart, I want to eat a pan of brownies or I want to <laughs> stay in bed and not exercise. That's what my heart is telling me. Mm-hmm. My common sense is telling me, no, don't do that. Right. Right. 
Well, and we, we hope that, that our conscience becomes more formed and we become more wise because of the past experience, knowing that if we just sat in the bed and ate the pan of brownies instead of getting up, avoiding the brownies and exercising, then our bellies might not be quite the size that they are or <laughs> might all around just have more energy. Exactly. Feel like a slug by two o'clock in the afternoon. Yes, exactly. Well, I, this reminded me of... I'm trying to think it might have been an interview I heard with Carrie Gress and she when she was talking about the Marian option. That's my recollection. I could be totally wrong and I, I could probably ask her to correct me. But um, women are most at fault with this one. We are led by our emotions more than by fact and conscience. And therefore, that's when we get ourselves up in all a tissue with other women and situations that it's actually a vice. And, and oh, I'm going to I'll I'm going to have to look it up or I'll ask her where it is. And if it was even her that was talking about it um, and and get get it in the show notes or something, because um my heart was really pricked when she said that, mm-hmm. that we, we truly allow our decisions to be made on a whim of our emotion. That's, yeah. that, And I think you're right. Women probably are more susceptible to that than men. Um, but yeah, as, as in general, people do that. I think mm-hmm. that we um, react rather than process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a very, very dangerous way to make decisions, even when we've, we're not reacting, even when we've been given, you know, when we take the time or we've been given the time to think over a decision, if we are still just thinking about how we will feel or how we, yeah, what are, how we will feel or how we are feeling, that's not a great way to make a decision. It would certainly be a, very bad way to make a decision about um, getting married or how to deal with one's children at any given point or keep or, or not keep a job. I mean, if on any given day, we feel different things about our jobs or our spouses or our children. And if we just reacted or made choices based on how we feel in the moment, that's terrifying. Oh, my. Yes. I would have said some really bad things if I would have acted on some of my emotions and the things that I was thinking. Yeah, not that we're not guilty of it sometimes. I mean, I've said things because I felt the moment and wished I hadn't said them. Um, But to just go through life making decisions on what my heart is telling me is um, really shallow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the doing what feels good really has driven our relativistic culture and look at it. Look right. at the the chaos that is happening. The suicide yeah. rates that are escalating. It's mm-hmm. the drug use, the alcohol abuse. It is truly, um, it's not good. It's not good. It's, it's alarming and there's so many factors and I think, Boy, that's a whole other conversation, too. And, yeah, it's definitely something to talk about and think about. But I think the idea that um, we're supposed to have our heart's desire, and if we don't have our heart's desire, we've somehow failed, is a depressing thought that probably a lot of people get wrapped up in. Mm-hmm. Well, even yeah. Christians, because they they misinterpret that scripture to mean, well, you know, it's the whole health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That right. If I'm not healthy, if I'm not wealthy, and I'm not prosperous, then I must have sinned, failed God. He he left me. He doesn't care. I don't deserve his love. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And because it is written in our hearts to know the Lord, to be loved by the Lord, and to love the Lord, if we allow those mis, uh, misgivings, those, li- those lies— to, yeah. to fester, no wonder so many children have fallen away from the faith. Absolutely. And, you know, I can remember in high school, this is so silly. It's, I probably should admit it. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I remember I was, prob- I was probably pining for a boy. I don't know. But my best friend gave me um, 
a card, and in it she wrote a verse from Jeremiah that, um, see, seek the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, I think was the verse. And again, I would, I'm paraphrasing. I did look up the other verse, and it is in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who hmm. can know it? So that is an actual Bible verse. But there's also one where the Bible, in, and I'm sure it's in Jeremiah, tells us that um, trust in the Lord or seek the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, 16-year-old me thought that that meant that if I prayed enough for it, um, if I asked God, then this boy would take me to prom or whatever it was that I was, you know, down in the dumps about at that age. Um, that's how I interpreted that scripture, that God wants me to have what I want. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant. And it was only later that I've realized and that I've changed, um, I've started praying this way. I want God to give me the desires of my heart. I want he, him to put them there. Mm-hmm. Whatever he wants for me is what I want to desire. That he will change the desires of my heart so that they are his rather than my own. Yeah. But um, I think that's another way it's that... Another one of those scriptures that the prosperity gospel has been built on in a, a way that people have misunderstood what God wants for our hearts. He wants He wants our hearts to want what He wants them to want, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, yes. We are to, to want Him, and to want Him is to want His will, and because He knows us. He knows what's best for us. He knows yesterday, today, and he knows tomorrow. And so why would I not want what he wants? Because he sure knows more than I do. And you know, what a gift we have in our Catholic faith is to be able to commune with him, not only in the Eucharist as one flesh and as we become one flesh and in consuming him, uh, but also through adoration. I mean, the, the way to know God's will is to be with him, be in his word, and then also be in the actual sacrament itself, adoration, all those things. So, um, and sometimes it just, it takes time. Yeah. And we're not patient people. No. no. That's another way our culture is um, drawing us away from God is we're expected to we want what we want we not only we not only want the desires of our heart we want them when we want them mm-hmm. desires of our heart immediately yeah and you know you were saying about um god's perfect will a second ago hearing you say that it makes so much sense to me when i tell that to my kids about what i'm asking for them i've told <laughs> my children just trust me you know as you get to, as you go through high school it does not, even if it doesn't make sense to you, even if, and of course this wouldn't apply to God, but even if I'm wrong, even if daddy and I are wrong in making a decision that we make for you, just understand that every single decision that we make, every single time we say yes, every single time we say no, it is because we are acting in your best interest. You may not always like it. You might not always agree with it. And because we're human, we may not always even be right, but you can trust that every single thing is out of love for you. Mm-hmm. And when I tried to explain that to one of my children at one point, I thought, well, duh, that is exactly <laughs> how, what God is saying to me, except for that he is never wrong. The difference between God's parenting and mine is that he won't make a mistake. Right. And it, I just would get so frustrated with my children or do get so frustrated with my children why can't they get that? I just want what's best for them. And yet, I don't always, certainly don't always get it with our Heavenly Father. Right. Right. So. That's <laughs> he's not definitely, love. He's using parenting to show me all the ways that, you know, a lot about, a lot about myself and a lot about him. Mm-hmm. Well, that's called vocation. <laughs> that's exactly how he set it up. So, hey, you are successfully walking through that parenting gig. <laughs> <laughs> now I love I love how you say it and and how you apply it to the Lord and 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 take it up that notch to to He is perfect and you know back in our I think it was when we were in the Presbyterian Church and um, Presbyterians have this <laughs> higher intellect and they really think on a higher level which was great like 
I learned so much being in that community of believers and um, I learned a lot of big words that have helped me. They actually helped me receive the Catholic faith and understand it, which probably <laughs> they would like cringe at that statement, but they're, they prepared me to become Catholic or go right. back to my Catholic roots. And, but, but one thing we always kind of talked about one was sanctification. Like how are we sanctified? Does God do it to us? Do we do it? Do we just, does it just happen at when we die and go to heaven? I mean, there were so many questions and of course our Catholic faith answers them so beautifully, so reasonably, so logically, but talking about discerning God's will, I really, really struggled with discerning God's will. And I think this is, this is actually an, um, a topic that I've reached out to someone far wiser and just so lovely. And, um, it's another, it's a gentleman who's far more, um, public than I am reached out to him to do this topic with me. And so, um, I'm trying to work out those details, but discerning God's will what I've learned uh, uh, coming from this, I don't, how do I discern God's will? The Bible just gives truths. It doesn't give like, oh, well, yes, you should buy that house and live here. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's not that specific. So how do we do it? But one thing that the Lord kind of revealed to me in my own processes was God God is a loving God, right? We can all agree with that. Mm-hmm. So God is not going to hide his will from us. He's not going to make us go off on some crazy scavenger hunt looking for it. He's not up there just kind of giggling at us saying, oh my, here she goes. Ooh, ooh, no, I'm going to move it over here so I can watch her run over here. Right? It's just not how God works. But sometimes when we feel... Like we can't find God's will or we don't know it. It's because it's not the right time for him to reveal it. And just waiting all of our questions. And he's, he's just asking us to lean into hope and then the patience and the peace that comes from knowing that when his time is right, he will reveal his perfect will. Sometimes we just have to be patient and wait. So just, I want to say that to encourage people who are, who are waiting on some answers right now, just know that he's not, or, or, you, or if you feel like you're spinning your wheels, trying to figure out what the Lord is trying to tell you, just wait, live today. Because when it is time for him to give you his perfect will, he will, and you will know it and it will be clear and it will give you peace. And until then, don't waste today while you're waiting. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And and the trust that even if we get it wrong, you know, he's bigger than our mistakes. I, even if we m- misinterpret or we make a mistake, I think that he's all loving and he can work through that as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, it's being in his perfect will is the best thing for us, but he is beyond our ability to make a mistake i think oh he redeems everything (laughs) that that takes a lot of the pressure off everything yes yes that we can't mess up so much that he can't redeem it everything (laughs) yeah Yeah. makes it harder on ourselves that's for sure (laughs) yes yes but it's what a loving father who says, it's okay, I got that. I was actually reading in the catechism this morning about creation and God the creator, and um, it just reiterates a lot of that point of God allowed evil because he knew he was more powerful and that he would always bring good from the bad, right. you know, the ultimate. Why, if God is so good and loving, why would he you know, create evil. Well, first of all, you didn't create evil, but, um, cause he can't. So anyway, that's a whole nother philosophical topic, philosophical yeah. topic. We'll, we'll do that next time. Well, I want to just kind of wrap it up and encourage others, uh, encourage the listeners who are enjoying this conversation. I'll put the, the link to this article 
And you can read her other points, but for the for the um, love of time, <laughs> I won't. Uh, we could. Laura and I can talk for hours, and we do sometimes. And um, it's just I never get enough conversation with you, Laura. So, um, but I do want to wrap up and and then give you some space to say what other things you want to say. But um, you said. Um, I did think of some last minute words of advice that you absolutely should follow. Always be kind, say your prayers, and call your mother. <laughs> yes. That's precious. That's my parting advice for all my children going to college. Um, they can do those things. That's a, a huge step in the right. That's way better advice, in my opinion, than, you know, be yourself or follow your heart. Those are concrete. Those are concrete things they can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Very concrete. We are concrete people, aren't we? And I want to hear from them. <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. Call your mother. <laughs> text. I mean, this is a new world. I'll take a text. Very true. Very true. Well, as always, it has been an absolute delight to get to talk all these things with you. And um, thank you for your time and your emotional energy and just being the witness that you are for me in my life. You're an encouragement. You're quote unquote older and wiser though. I think that, um, I definitely don't want to call you old cause you're just one of my sweet friends that, um, that I, I just enjoy, but you also, um, are a great example and you, and, and you teach me things you probably, don't even realize you're teaching me just because you're living it. Wow. Well, thank you. That is, that, those are kind words and a lot to live up to. Wow. Um, but yeah, as always, I feel like we have not gotten our visit out. We didn't get to talk enough. But <laughs> well, will you this- come back and do it again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, and you know what I didn't do? And I kind of forgot to give you a heads up. So I'm going to put you on the spot. You ready? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember to do this on every episode when I interview someone. Is can you share one woman in your life that, um, like a pivotal moment where she spoke something into your life or by example, caused you to make a turn in how you were living a life in, in such a positive and beautiful way. It's really just shaped who, who you have become. Mm, big question. Big question. Okay. Um, let me think. Um, when I was a senior in high school, funny because we're talking about graduation, my grandparents gave me a Bible. I wasn't Catholic. They weren't Catholic, but um, they gave me a Bible, and in it, my grandmother wrote, "This is the Word of God. Make it." Uh, and it is how did she put it? I don't have it in front of me. Um, this is the Word of God and the path to the kingdom of heaven. Make it your daily guide, so that you may enter therein. Now, as a Catholic, we know that. Um, you know, we have the sacraments as well. And, and, but as, as Protestants, they, you know, hung their hats on the Bible and it meant the world to her, but it did in the same way that, you know, your, your past as a Presbyterian paved the way for you to enter the Catholic church. I think the same is true with my grandmother's love of scripture, that her giving me that Bible at that sort of pivotal moment in my life when I was entering in college and saying, don't lose sight of this. This is, um, again, make it your daily guide so you may enter therein. I never forgot those words. I did not always abide by them. I did not always make it my daily guide, either by reading it or living it. But and those words never left me. There was this idea that there is a, a truth that I should be seeking. And she handed it to me in, in that Bible and told me to never forget it. And I never did. Didn't always, again, didn't always... Remember it every day, but I never fully forgot it. 
Well, it's evidence because of all the scripture that you quoted, tried to re- quote or reference <laughs> during our inner, during our conversation. Um, all the scripture I can paraphrase. Yes. Hey, look, it's okay. Um, there weren't even numbers in the Bible way before, so we're just fine. Um, it is it is obvious and apparent that her words did. Um, pierce into your heart and they have driven you along for all these years and it's a beautiful witness and you've carried it on and you've given it to your children and you've given it to mine you taught my child religion this year and so um, (laughs) you know I just that's beautiful and and the word is is part of our both and and um, and just what a beautiful witness so well, yes, thing. And the fact that, oh, sorry. Nope, nope, go. Nope, well, you're fine. I mean, she she was a faithful Christian woman, but she wasn't particularly vocal about her faith. And that one gift, um, you know, stuck with me always. And that's encouraging to me, too, to think that even in a small way, one um, inscription in a book and can make a difference in a person's life. And sometimes I think I get caught up in thinking, that I need to, and and your daughter could probably attest to this, that in religion I need to really drive this point home over and over. But it, sometimes it, it's just a, a simple example or a, a few words that make a difference. Hmm. Now that, that is true. And that's m- makes me think of Therese, you know, in, right? in all yeah. the little ways. And and that's why fretting towards the future isn't helping in the today. What do, what do I need to do today, Lord? Today. Yeah. So. Well, that's a good approach. Yeah. Well, thank you so much yeah. again. Um, we're going to do it again because this was a ton of fun. And, of course, again, I cannot ever have enough conversation with you. And. Oh, Use for us to get together. Yes. Well, I'm sure, I hope that our listeners have uh, enjoyed our conversation too and that they've been spurred on to go and encourage others. So thanks again for being here, Laura. Thanks, Becky. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Thriving in the Trenches. I have hope that it will have encouraged you in your journey and that you will know the love of God even more intimately. Please share this podcast with a friend on your social media pages or leave a review in iTunes. You are welcome to join me on our Instagram or Facebook group where we can grow in friendships. Thanks for coming. This is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzzo inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tour's Divine Mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019, and we would love for you to join us. For more information, go to my website, AnnaNuzzo.com. Thank you, and God bless. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com.